You're listening to Thankful, a sermon series about Christian gratitude. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. All right, how are we doing, Elevate? We doing good? Everybody good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them they're not dreaming. Tell them they're not dreaming. They really are. You're sitting right beside them. They're blessed, right? They're blessed. Hey, if you don't know me today, my name is Robert Andrews. I'm so glad that you are joining us today. You picked a great Sunday to be here. We're starting a brand new series uh, today called Thankful. But before we get to that message, before we get to that series, let me make just one announcement. I know we just had the bulletin, and this won't be on the screen for you. But we're looking for a little help. Uh, immediately following our service today, we're actually uh, looking for some folks who don't mind helping us move some things out of our nursery area and even paint some things. Uh, really, not things, the walls. We want to paint the walls. Uh, we want to paint the walls in our nursery area uh, because we're getting new carpet installed uh, starting tomorrow. And so we want to kind of freshen that place up, keep it looking nice for the kids. Uh, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, man, this is late notice. I didn't know about it. Hey, that's okay. After church today, we don't mind you running home. We'll drive because it's raining. But you can go and get you some clothes. If you say, hey, I'm not going to do that. We got garbage bags. We can cut little holes out. You can put it on like that so you don't get paint all over you. I thought about actually trying to guilt you guys into it and playing some Sarah McLaughlin music, you know, uh, and having pictures of sad kids on there and say, for just one afternoon, you can really make everything better for our nursery area. But I'm not going to do that. I, felt, I thought I would just kind of say that and make you all kind of feel like you need to help. But any help that you can give with that will be greatly appreciated. So just come and see me after the, church, the service today and we'll, get, we'll get, you, get you pointed in the right direction. But that's really all the announcements. That's the only announcement I got for you. So let's get to the message. Again, we're in a series we are titling... Thankful, thankful. See, we are in uh, the Thanksgiving season. We are in a season of the year where you and I are supposed to express our thanks. We are supposed to really express uh, our gratitude. But the truth of the matter is uh, we're not real good at giving thanks. We're not real good at expressing our thanks. We're not really even very good it's saying thank you. How many of y'all know, you know that to be true? You're just not real good at saying thank you. Uh, true story, this couple weeks ago, I, I went to a gas station. I decided I was going to go inside the gas station after I gassed up to get me something to drink. And so I started walking to the gas station doors. And when I got to the doors, they didn't have those automatic doors. You know, the doors that just automatically open up because we're so special. You know what I mean? Yes, here I am. I'm here. They didn't do that. I actually had to put my hand out and actually pull the door open. And so I pull the door open and I walk in. And as I'm walking in, I kind of catch in my peripheral vision that there was a lady and her daughter. I'm assuming it was her daughter. They are walking in basically right behind me and the door was going to shut uh, on them. They were going to have to open up the door themselves. So I stopped and I actually turned back around and opened the door for them. And when I did that, you know what they did? Nothing. They just walked right by me. And I thought, 
did they think they just walked through an automatic door opening? You know, like sometimes that's how it is, right? And so I, I said, well, maybe that was it. So I kind of checked myself to make sure I smell fresh, you know what I mean? Because I was like, man, maybe I smell repulsive or something like that. So I checked my Old Spice, make sure it didn't smell like Old Spice, but I was smelling fresh, man. I was smelling good. And so that wasn't it. And so I looked in the re my reflection in the window to make sure I didn't look like a serial killer, and I didn't think I did. Uh, but again, they didn't even look at me. They didn't even look at me. They didn't say thanks. They didn't do, do anything. And so I said, okay, I just kind of went on my business. I got my drink, went to the checkout, paid for my drink, and then I'm walking out again. Well, guess who's right behind me? You know, they're right behind me again. So I open the door for them again, and guess what? Nothing. They just walk, they don't even acknowledge me. And so I'm like, what in the world? So as soon as they got like right past me, I said, ah! And they looked at me like I had a problem, you know? And I was like, hey, thank you so much for coming. We'll see you next time. And then uh, I just walked to my truck, and they looked at me like this, you know? But I was like, Psh, ain't going to say thanks to me twice? I don't know about that. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, uh, have you ever found yourself kind of in a similar situation to where you do something for someone and, you know, they don't even act like you, it was a big deal? You do something for somebody, they don't even acknowledge maybe what you did. They aren't really thankful. I hate it really when uh, I do stuff like that, and I know that you do as well. Uh, but it's like nowadays, everybody has this sense of entitlement. Uh, that we just feel like we deserve all these good things. And it's this sense of entitlement that really keeps us from having a sense of thankfulness. I really think that's what it, what it is. And so we hate it when people overlook our kindness. We hate it when people overlook the things that we have done for them. Yet that's really how each and every one of us uh, really treat people who do things for us. We do that with the people in our life. But we also do that with God. I'm serious. God has done so much for each and every one of us, uh, yet we rarely give him thanks. We rarely thank him the way that he actually deserves. And this isn't anything new. I mean, all the, all the way back in the very beginning of time, when, uh, in the garden, when God places Adam and Eve in the garden, he places them in a perfect environment. I mean, think about that. They didn't have a car note they didn't have a house note. They didn't have insurance premiums to worry about. They didn't have to worry about going and buying clothes. They're naked. They're naked, and they love it. They're naked, and there's just no shame. You know what I mean? They're naked, and they don't even have to worry about what they're going to eat. They're surrounded by food, and it's free, right? It's free. God says, hey, look, you've got all this food here. I want you to eat as much as you want, and you don't have to worry about that saying, a minute on the lips is forever on the hips. That's not true yet, okay? This is all good for you. Eat as much as you want. It's free. Just enjoy it. And you think, I mean, they're set for life. You'd think that Adam and Eve would just be grateful, that they'd be thankful and say, oh, yes, man, thank you so much, God. That's amazing. And God says, hey, there's just one thing that I need you to do. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge between good and evil. But what do they do? What do they do? They begin to think, well, hey, you know what? I deserve that too. I, I'm entitled to that too. God is holding out on us. The, the serpent comes in and tempts them. We deserve more is what they think. And they eat from the tree that God had told them not to. Again, God had been so good to them. And that's how they thank him. Humanity has always had a hard time really expressing our thanks to people and to God. Even when Jesus walked this earth. There's a really interesting story that I want us to begin with in Luke chapter 17. In Luke chapter 17, 
Jesus does an amazing a miracle. He, he, does, he does an amazing thing for a group of people. The story starts in verse 11 of Luke 17, but the Bible says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance. Now, let me stop for just a second, because if you don't know what leprosy is, leprosy is a skin disease. It was a horrible skin disease that really calls you to be unclean. It calls you to basically have to live your life in isolation. If you had leprosy, your life was really over. If you had leprosy and you were single, if you were a guy, you were never going to get a girlfriend. You were never going to get a girlfriend whose hand you could hold because what happened was leprosy would literally cause parts of your body to like fall off. Your nose might fall off. Your ear might fall off. So you might actually go to hold a girl's hand and when you go to hold a girl's hand, your finger might fall off in her hand. And that's nasty, right? If you were a guy and you went to kiss a girl and your lip fell off like there, that'd be nasty. You'd be like, it's not happening. So again, you're forced to live your life in isolation. You were, you were driven away from society. You were considered unclean. Clean. You, you were avoided by everyone. In fact, if you had leprosy, if you had leprosy, the law required you to keep your distance. And so if you were walking down a road and you actually saw people walking towards you, you were forced to yell out, unclean, 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 over and over and over again. And that was a warning to those individuals who were approaching you that they should avoid you. So these guys, they have not had much social interaction. We don't know how long it's been this way, but I can only imagine that they have lived a long, lonely life. Maybe they remembered when they were kids and they were able to play with their friends. Maybe they remembered uh, the times that they were able to hug their mom, maybe even their dad. Maybe they were married before they, were, they had leprosy, and so they missed the touch of their wife. They missed the touch of their kids. But those things, again, had, had been so far removed from them, and so they see Jesus. And they can't approach Jesus, so they stood at a distance. And here's what they do. Here's what the Bible goes on to say in verse 13. It says, And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, have pity on us. Basically what they're saying is, Jesus, we've got it rough. Jesus, our life is so tough. Jesus, we've got it so bad. Do you notice that exclamation point there? What I want you to understand is that they are basically begging and pleading for Jesus to do something for them. And so verse 14 says, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, why in the world were they just supposed to go and show themselves to the priest? Well, the priest was actually the individual who would inspect you and say, hey, you know what? You're clear of leprosy. You're okay to enter back into society. That's why they were supposed to do that. And so uh, they go show themselves to the priest. And the Bible says that as they went, they were cleansed. Again, this is an amazing miracle. This is a huge miracle. And you've got to understand that for so long, again, these lepers, they, they were so far away from society. They longed to be back with their families. Maybe one of these guys was 
a dad who had a daughter and he missed his daughter's he missed his daughter's wedding maybe maybe one of these these guys was his his mom his his father had passed away and his he wasn't able to be there for his mom because again he was having to live his life in isolation i just want you to understand that these guys these 10 guys they longed for the love and affection of the people that they loved and missed this would have been something amazing Something amazing that would have happened in their life for them to be healed. And so you'd think that they'd be excited, that they'd be thankful to Jesus. Because, again, who do they ask for help? Jesus, that's right. Who, who actually did something for them? Jesus, that's right. And so watch what happens here. Watch what happens. Uh, verse 15, it says, One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Were, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, rise and go, your faith has made you well. See, I've read this story before. I've read this story many times, and I don't think that I've ever questioned why the Bible so clearly says that the one individual who returns to give thanks to Jesus is a Samaritan. Why does the Bible clearly say that? Well, as I was studying this past week, what, I, what most commentators suggest is that the fact that this one guy is identified as a Samaritan indicates that the other nine were Jews. Now, that might not sound like anything on the surface, but if you dig a little deeper, what you're going to see is that the Jews, they kind of had a lot of pride. Why did they have a lot of pride? Because they were God's chosen people. They were considered the people of God. And so there was this sense of entitlement among them that God just owes us because of who we are. But the Samaritans... The Samaritans were despised individuals. They were considered less thans. They were looked down upon. So this one Samaritan, he realizes that he's nothing special. He realizes that Jesus doesn't owe him anything, yet Jesus gives it to him freely. And so my question to you is, do you have this sense of entitlement when you approach God. Do you just think that God owes you all the good things in this world? Because listen to me, folks, God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe me anything. God doesn't owe any of us anything. I mean, we're born sinners. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we kill. You say, I've never killed anybody. Well, Jesus says, if you hate someone in your heart, guess what? You're guilty of murder. So we take advantage of each other. We're prideful. Again, we are sinners. Romans chapter 3 verse 23, what does it say? It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look at the person sitting next to you and tell them, sinner. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't that feel good? Now look at the person who told you that. Say, well, it takes one to know one. <laughs> right? We are Sinners, then Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Nobody is righteous, not even the person who acts like their entire life is together, the person who tries to act like they are perfect. There is no one righteous, not even one. Then Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. I don't even want to tell you what that's making a reference to, but that's, it's nasty. 
It's nasty. They're like filthy rags. And it says we're all shriveled up like a leaf. Look at the person sitting next to you. And in your mind say, yep, that's what you look like, shriveled up leaf. Don't say it out loud. They'll be mad, right? But we're like shriveled up leaves. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. And we're messed up. We're, we're, we're unclean, just like these lepers were. But Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, if it wasn't for the goodness and kindness of Christ, we'd be in trouble. If it wasn't for the death of Christ on Calvary's cross, if it wasn't for Jesus extending one hand to a holy God and one hand to a sinful man and reconciling us back together, we'd all be in danger of going to hell. And see, see, we just went through this series about the thief where we talked about the devil and how we said that 62% of Americans don't really believe that, that, that Satan is real, that he's just really a symbol of evil. Well, did you know that 72% of Americans believe in a place called heaven? They do. 72%. But only 40% of Americans believe in a place called hell. Only 40%. Well, listen to me. I want you to know that heaven is a real place. It's a real place. It's going to be wonderful. Man, it's going to be beautiful. There really are no words that can adequately describe heaven. But I want you to know that just how there are not words that can adequately describe how beautiful and wonderful heaven is, there are not words to adequately describe how horrible and terrible hell is going to be. It's true. It's described as a place of weeping, just constant screams. It's described as a place of gnashing of teeth. It's described as a, as a place where the fire never goes out, but there's no light. It's just complete darkness. It's absent of the presence of God. Again, it's a horrible place, a terrible place, and we were headed there. We were headed there, and Jesus said, God, they don't have to go there. God, I'll give my life. God, I'll die in their place. I'll pay their debt. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe, and he didn't have to. Folks, we ought to be forever thankful for that. For, for that. Forever grateful. Just for that. One leper. Only one comes back and he falls at the feet of Jesus and he gives glory and he gives honor to God. And I can't help but believe that from that day on, that that one leper lived his life completely differently. And the truth is, God's been good to each and every one of us. Not just because he offers us salvation and gives us salvation. He's been good to us. James chapter 1 verse 17 says... Every good and perfect gift. How many, how many good gifts? Every. Not just one, not just two, not just most, not just a lot, but every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. I look at Amanda every day, and I just tell her, do you know where I came from? I'm from above, girl. I'm good. She just kind of looks at me. But I mean, that's really every good, every perfect gift 
is from above. That means if you have a roof over your head, if you've got clothes on your back, if you've got air in your lungs, if you even have to drag a tank of air behind you, you ought to be thankful to God for what he's done for you. He's been good to us. And since he's been so good to us, since he's been so, so good to us, we can't just say thanks. Because just saying thanks doesn't always mean that you're really thankful, right? If you've got kids, you know this, right? i got three kids. Uh, i got two girls who are kind of close to the same age, and they are always kind of fighting about stuff. And usually when they're fighting, it's over dumb stuff. I mean, over, over important stuff, you know, like really, really important life and death stuff. Like, who is going to be able to use the charger for the iPhone? You know what I'm saying? I'm at 32%. Well, I'm at 22%. I mean, it's just life and death stuff. Really, really fighting. And so Brianna, my oldest, she might sometimes say, okay, Sadie, here, you can, you can use the charger. And Sadie Kate won't say anything. And so we look at Sadie Kate, and we're like, you need to tell your sister thanks. And so she'll go, thanks. That's not real thankfulness, right? That's not real thankfulness. See, being thankful isn't just expressed by our verbiage, especially when it comes to what God has done for us. Yes, we should say thanks, but our full response, our full response to what God has done for us should be what 1 John 4.19 says. It says we love him because he first loved us. And love is... Thankfulness, all of those things are expressed by actions. And so during this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at ways that we can express our love to God, express our thankfulness to God, because we cannot repay God for what he gives us, but we can glorify him in the way that we live our life. And so for the rest of the time that we have together this morning, I want to talk to you about something that you and I should do as a result of being thankful to God, and that is witness. We should be a witness for God. Because of what God has done for us, because of what God has done in us, because we are thankful for that, we will be a witness for him. But not just a witness. I believe that we should be a bold witness for him. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Think about the disciples, first of all. Jesus invested three years of his life teaching and training 12 disciples. He he really did. He was teaching them what it meant to know God. He was teaching them how to do God's will. He's doing all of this stuff. And every now and then he would talk to them and he would say, Hey guys, by the way, you need to know that one day I'm going to die. One day I'm going to give my life for you. And don't worry because after three days, guess what? I'm going to resurrect from the dead. I'm going to be alive. And so you'd think that the disciples would be like, okay, that's that's going to be awesome. You know what I mean? But it was hard for them to understand that he was actually going to die and rise again. It would be hard for us to understand that because if somebody dies and then they're back three days later, how many of y'all would be like, that's kind of odd. It's kind of different. It's kind of weird. But they had seen Jesus do all sorts of miracles. They had seen him turn water into wine. They had seen him cast out demons. They had actually seen him raise other people from the dead. They saw him walk on water. They saw him feed the multitudes with a McDonald's kid's meal. I mean, they they saw him do all of these things. And so you'd have thought that when Jesus said that, they would have been like, okay, that's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. But eventually Jesus dies. 
he dies. And when he's buried, what do the disciples do? Do they go out and boldly witness for Jesus? Is, is that what they do? No, that's not what they do. Do they go out and say, man, hey, it's all right. He's coming back. He's coming back. Is that what they do? No, that's not what they do. In John chapter 20, verse 19, here's what they end up doing. They're hiding like kids. It says, on the evening that that the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked. Why? For the fear of the Jewish leaders. Again, this is crazy. Jesus has told them he's coming back, and what are they doing? They're cowering like little kids. They are afraid of people who are enemies of Christ. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons why you and I aren't always bold in our witness is because we're afraid. We're afraid that we just don't know enough information. We're afraid that we might be talking to somebody and they may ask us a question and we don't feel like we're going to be able to answer it adequately. Or we're, we're, how many of y'all have ever, somebody's ever asked you a question and you just freeze up? Just about whatever. You know what I mean? Like you got the deer in the headlights look. You know what I'm saying? We're afraid that is going to happen. We're afraid we won't know enough. Sometimes we're afraid because we just don't want to offend people. We don't want to seem too pushy, right? We don't want to seem like we're too pushy. We don't want to be that kind of of Christian. We've got all these reasons for not wanting to witness about Christ, but at their root, at their root, I'm convinced that it's all tied back to fear. We're afraid. We're afraid we won't know enough. We're afraid we'll look silly. We're afraid that we won't get it right. We're hiding. We are afraid to tell people who don't know Jesus about Jesus, just like these disciples. They're behind locked doors cowering. And, and I want you to understand that, that I know what that means. I know what it feels like to be afraid to tell people about Jesus. Just because I'm a, a preacher, it doesn't mean that when I wake up in the morning that my Bible hovers around my desk and above my desk and that I'm just so ready to be bold in everything I do and glorify and honor God. It's just not like that, man. I totally get what it's like to be afraid. I remember in college, uh, I took an evangelism class, and one of our uh, one of our final projects was we had to we were they basically bust us into this apartment complex and dropped us off and told us to go and knock on doors and lead people to Christ. I, I was like, this is the weirdest thing <laughs> ever, you know, in my mind. You know what I mean? Knock, knock, and we had our door approach. Knock, knock. If they answered the door, hey, I know that you don't know me, but I'm here to ask you a very important question. If you were to die today, do you know that you would go and spend the rest of eternity with Jesus Christ? Or would you go and be, be suffering the, the eternal wrath of God in a place called hell? I mean, no wonder people shut their doors in our faces. You know what I'm saying? Every door that I went up and knocked on, I was praying, God, if you're real, don't let anybody be home. <laughs> and don't let anybody be home. Don't, God, if you're really out there, man, don't let anybody be home. I was, I was afraid. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I think there are much better ways to effectively evangelize and effectively witness to people than that. But I do also believe that there are moments where you and I have to recognize that our paths have crossed with certain people for a reason. And so we should boldly tell people about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. So what in the world caused the change in these disciples' life? What caused them to change. I mean, at one moment, they're cowering behind locked doors. What changes? Look at, look at the rest of verse 19. It says, 
All of a sudden, they're behind locked doors. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with y'all. I kind of believe Jesus was like, hey, I told y'all I was coming back. What's y'all's problem? You know what I'm saying? And so watch what happens, verse 20. He, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. It's amazing how this one event, this one event causes these guys from, from, to go from, from being timid and afraid to being bold and courageous in everything that they, they do. They go from hiding behind locked doors to, to publicly preaching the good news of, uh, of Christ. I mean, Peter, Peter, the one who was the most coward of them all, Peter, the one who was afraid of a little teenage girl when she accused him of being a follower of Christ. Even Peter, man, he gets bold and he preaches before thousands of people and he says, repent and be baptized. What in the world, man? How in the world did this happen? He's thrown in prison because he just won't stop talking about Jesus. When he gets in prison, you know what he does? He continues to preach about Christ. And so the high priest calls Peter in, and you got to see this, man. In Acts chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says, Annas, the high priest, was there. Now let me stop. Please don't name your kid that. I can only imagine that that kid had a rough childhood. You know what I'm saying? But Annas, the high priest was there, and so was uh, Caiaphas, John, uh, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name do you do this? And so Peter goes on to explain to them about the power of God. He goes on to explain to them the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He goes on to explain to them the one that you guys killed has defeated death. And there is salvation in no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say all these things. And look at verse 13 of Acts chapter 4. The same chapter. It says, when they saw the courage, when they saw the courage or boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So it was the boldness of Peter and John. It was the boldness, the courage that, that astonished the people. See, here's the question that each and every one of us need to ask ourselves. Do the people in your life and the people in my life who don't know Jesus, are they amazed at the boldness that you have for Christ? Are they amazed at the boldness that you have for Christ? Or do they even know that we are followers of Christ? See, we're called to be bold. We're called to be the salt and light of the earth. We're called to go and make disciples. This isn't just a suggestion. It's a, it's a command. But, but doing this, going and making disciples, it requires, again, boldness. So how... How in the world do we become bold witnesses? What do we do? Let me give you two things, and then we're going to be done. Two quick things. If you keep a note, you want to write them down. First thing, if you want to be a bold witness for Christ, you need to spend more time with Jesus. You need to spend more time with Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Again, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had what? Been with Jesus. They were, what kind of men? Unschooled, ordinary. 
The, the word actually in the Greek for unschooled is the word idiotos. You know, where we, you know what word we get in our English language from this word? It's the word idiot. It's the word idiot. And so, so basically they look at him and say, hey, these guys are a bunch of idiots. These guys are a bunch of idiots. You say, well, Robert, I'm not real smart. Robert, I just don't know all the answers. Robert, I'm an idiot. Well, praise God, you're listening to one of the chief idiots right now. I don't know anything. Man, if you've never been accused of being the brightest crayon in the box, you are in a prime spot to be used mightily by God. Just spend time with Jesus. Time with Jesus will cause you to be bold. Time with Jesus will cause you to tell others about him. When do you usually tell somebody about a movie, about a show, or about a restaurant? After you've what? After you've been there, right? After you've seen it, after you've spent some time there. Well, you know what? It's the same way with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus will cause you to be bold. It will cause you to tell others about Jesus. So if you want to be a bold witness, you need to spend time with Jesus. And one more, just real quick. The second thing, because God will hear this prayer, God will answer this prayer, but you need to pray for God to give you boldness. Pray for God to give you boldness. God, give me boldness. Peter and John, again, they are arrested they're before the high priest here, and the high priest basically gives them information like, look, y'all need to stop talking about Jesus. If you don't stop talking about Jesus, you're going to rot in prison. You're going to rot in jail. They heard information that would have caused a lot of us, most of us, just to never speak about Jesus again. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, look what the Bible says. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with what? Great boldness. Great boldness. Do you see what they're praying? They're not praying, God, keep us safe. They're not praying, God, protect us. They're, they're saying, God, increase our boldness. Give us more boldness than we had when we got into trouble in the first place. Make us bold for you. And I'm telling you, spending time with Jesus will make you bold for him. Praying for God to give you boldness, God will answer that. See, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up. But again, this entire series, this entire series, we're talking about being thankful. We're talking about properly expressing our thankfulness for all that God has done for us. Well, have you ever noticed when two people get engaged, they get excited, right? I mean, if you're engaged right now and you're not excited about it, you need to get out of that relationship. I'm sorry. You just need to get out. You, you get excited. But usually when a person gets engaged, I mean, they're glowing. <laughs> And, you know, and then what, well, there's, something that, there's something that the girls usually do. Or is this hand? What's it? Yeah, this hand, right? Uh, I'm, right? And then what are you doing? Oh, let me see. Let me see. Everybody's like, oh, he did so good. Right? Tell me what he did. How did he do it? What did he do? And everybody's like, oh, you're so lucky. You're so blessed. And you're, everybody, I know. Yeah, he's so good. He's so good. Listen to me. Man, that's exactly what it's like for you and I. As followers of Christ, we're excited about what Jesus has done for us. We say, you know what? He set me free from sin. He set me free from addiction. He saved me from myself. I'm no longer heading to hell. I've got an acceptance that can never be questioned, an inheritance that can never be lost, a hope that can never be disappointed, a joy that can never be disturbed, a peace that can never be troubled. Man, God's been good to me. He's been good to me. And man, oh man, you need to meet him because he'll be good to you. You need this. 
You need what I got. He's so good. He's so great. He's so wonderful. That's what we do. We tell others because we're thankful. Because we're thankful. Are you thankful today? Are you proving that you're thankful by boldly being a witness for him? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. But maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. I want you to know he's here and he wants to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He wants to set you free from sin. He wants to mold you into a new person, a completely new person. So if you'd say, you know what? Today's the day that I need to I need to accept Christ as my Savior. I need to accept Christ as my Lord. Right where you are, I'm going to ask that you pray this prayer. Father, forgive me for all of my sins. Father, I'm thankful that you love me enough to send your son to die for me. And today, I confess Christ as Lord. I confess Christ as Savior because there's no other name on earth but under heaven by which we must be saved. Father, thank you for loving me and now change me. Look, we're continuing to pray, but if you pray to receive Jesus today, you pray to receive Christ, I'm going to ask that you do me a favor. Everybody's looking around, but if you pray to receive Jesus, would you just raise your hand so that I can know today you, you made the decision to commit your life to Christ. Amen. 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 God is good. God is good, folks. Father, today we're thankful that you love us. And Father, I know in my own life I don't always do a good job expressing my thankfulness. Father, there are times where I just feel like you owe me more than you've already given me. And I'm sorry. I repent today. Father, I know you're a good father. So, Father, help me just to trust you each and every day of my life. To understand that you're never going to leave me. You're never going to forsake me. Father, help us to know that you're good and that you're wonderful. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus.